0: Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah
1: study. We are in the book of Genesis. We are completing the Jacob saga, beginning the Yosef saga. Yosef, uh, his n- story, his novella, takes up about a quarter of the book of Genesis. So it is a huge, kind of a standalone in a way, novella. Um, and so I just want to give all of you my sympathy that you are studying this text with me, um, because I did Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat in fourth grade at the <laughs> Hebrew Academy. And so I know every word of Every song of the operetta. So there are, there are moments where I'm not going to be able to help myself. I'm just, so I apologize in advance that I'm going to burst into song like a bad Disney film, um, every now and then as we study this text. Um, and then once it starts, the poor staff, like has to listen to me. Joseph's mother, she was quite my favorite wife. I never really loved another all my life. Like they have to hear it the rest of the day. So everyone is very sad that we're beginning the Joseph story. So, um, so we are going to look a little bit at the beginning of the Joseph narrative. I want to, um, then take us to, a look to take us to the first line of the um parsha which I've prepared some commentary on, because I think it's just one of those fun examples. I mean, there's not a lot to dig into with the Joseph story yet. Um, there will be. But also, it's just this great example of our tradition that that there's so much commentary on the first verse of this Parsha. And I'm not going to tell you what it is. We're going to read it together, and you're going to go, hmm, really? Okay. So we are in Genesis 37, Verse one. Here is the the pasuk that there is so much commentary written about. <laughs> Yaakov settled in the land where his father had sojourned, the land of Kna'an. Ooh, right. There's a lot there, people. All right. So we're going to look at a a bunch of commentary on this verse. Yaakov yeshaved. He settled. But Eretz Migure Aviv, the place where his ancestors sojourned, where's that, in case we're confused about it? Eretz Kna'an, Canaan. So now we're getting kind of the t- the tail end of the Yaakov narrative, and that is that he settles in Kna'an. He settles in Canaan. So Toldot Yaakov, whenever we get toldot, here, <clears throat> here are the generations of so-and-so. Usually that means... We're gonna get a genealogy. Here, here's the line of Adam. Here's the line of Noah. Noah begat Shem, Ham, and Yafet. They begat blah 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 begat begat begat, and we're gonna get you know like a whole iteration until we pick up the story of one of those generations. So, Ela told Yaakov, "Here are the generations of Yaakov. We should now be getting a lot of begatting." <laughs> right, so we, but we're not. That's not what happens here. So what happens? This is the line of Yaakov. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended the flocks with his brothers. It's like, he's got 11 brothers and a sister. Like, it's not like, here's the generations of Yaakov, you know, and then give us Ruven, you know, and all the way down the line. Um. so we just get this thing about Yosef. He's 17 years of age. He's tending the flocks with his brothers as a helper to the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. Okay, So he's helping the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah with the flocks. And Joseph, we're told out of absolutely nowhere, brings um, r- words that are ra'ah, bad, um, to their father. So this must mean words about them to the father. So remember, these are the, these were the handmaidens of Leah and Rachel. Um, many, many Jewish feminists, when we get to saying that first set of brachot, those first blessings in the Amidah, where it names our forefathers and our foremothers, m- many Jewish feminists want to add Bilha and Zilpa. Um, so that even though they didn't have the same status as wives that Rachel and Leah did, they are the mothers of a bunch of those tribes. Like, it, it, and to ignore them is to say, unless your status is X vis-a-vis the patriarchal system, you don't count. And that's super anti-feminist. So um, so to your point about Bilhah and Zilpa, many of us, you know, kind of sneak it in there silently, like when we're davening the up. Alright, so Joseph, is helping out um, the brothers that are born of Bilhah and Zilpah and brings bad reports of them to their father. The Yisrael, Ahav et Yosef Mikobanov, and Yisrael, he's called Yisrael here, he's going to change back and forth from Yaakov to Yisrael, back and forth and back and forth. Ahav et Yosef, we don't get a lot of emotion in Torah, so to be told that he loves his son, like why why are we talking about that we never we never talk about that in Torah. why because he loves him more than any of his other sons kiven's kunim because he is the son of his uh elderhood um and and he makes for him he has made for him a kutonet pasim so um a a very beautiful outer tunic. So if you think about picture in your head, how people dressed from how Semites dressed in this period there, they would have worn an outer garment that was belted. Right. And so this is, there's clearly something very special about this kutonet, this coat um, that he, this outer garment that Yaakov has made for him. So it's not like he makes him a little pendant that he can wear under his undershirt. Right? Saying, I love you best. You're my favorite. Um, no, it's this huge outward sign of Joseph's status as the favored son. It, it is a huge statement and turns out to be a very big mistake. Um, one of many that Yaakov makes vis a vis Yosef. Um, you could call it a mistake or you could call it fate. Um, that, right and we'll we 'll look at a lot of places that that gets brought up in this story here 's one of the first ones. What if Yosef had not been walking around with his coat, bringing you know tales about his brothers to their father when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of his brothers, they hated him so that they could not speak a friendly word to him All right. again, Torah does not deal much with emotion. Or someone's mindset. So this is major that we're being told this. That they can't stand him. They hated him to the point where they couldn't even pretend. Right? Do you have people who like they walk in the room and you're like, I mean, yeah, I don't, but I've heard some people do. Um and it's like it's effort to even just say good morning. Like it, that's how they cannot stand the sight of him. Um, so once, so here we're just out of nowhere, right? Vaya Yosef halom. Joseph dreamed a dream. I don't like this English so much. So vaya halom Yosef halom. Now Yosef had a dream. Vayaget le'echav, and the idiot child tells it to his brothers and they hated him even more. No. No, that is my commentary. That is Targum Amy Bernstein. Okay. So, Vayomer Aleham, and he says to them, Shimuna, listen up, if you will, to this dream that I dreamed. There were sheaves in the field when suddenly my sheaf stood up and remained upright. Your sheaves gathered around and bowed low to my sheaf. Not The sharpest knife in the drawer. Mike, David. Yeah.
0: Um, No, I'm just asking because I'm I'm not my Hebrew isn't good enough to figure this out. But when it says it in the Hebrew, I dreamt, uh, dreamt a dream. Is that repeated in the Hebrew? How how does it
1: translate? And he said to them, Shimuna, listen up. To this dream. That I dreamt. Yeah, so that, that's how I
0: saw it too. So it's almost this sort of passive dreaming, Some uh, the kind of dream. I just had a dream. But here it's almost like I'm, I'm purposefully having this dream. You know, you can sort of th- – there's something extra obnoxious uh, 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 about
1: that. Right, about look what a good dreamer I am. Yeah, exactly. Right, like I did – I dreamt this dream, right? So, right, so this kind of very active, very yosef centered right, stuff – Vayomru, um, and they said to him, right, who? Echav, his brothers, do you mean to reign over us? Do you mean to rule over us? And they hated him even more for his talk about dreams. Vayachalom chalom, and he dreamed yet another dream, right? And he says to his brothers, look, I've had another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars just happens to be the number 11 we're bowing down to moi. And when he told it, and when he told it to his father and brothers, his father berated him. What he said to him is this dream you have dreamed. Are we to come? I and your mother and your brothers and bow low to you to the ground. Well, it turns out his father is going to bow low to the ground to him. Um, what about his mother? His mother is dead, so his brothers were wrought up at him, and his father kept the matter in mind. All right, so his we're getting the the very opening scene is that Yosef is a talebearer. he's a tattletale, and that he's a show-off about these dreams he's having where eleven things are going to bow to his thing. Um and he's telling this to his brother. So we get we get the setup right away um that he's the favorite, the brothers hate him for that, he's tattle he's a tattletale and he's a show off. Right? So think this is not good. Right? This is we're told nothing else. What we're told about is the dynamic between Yosef and his brothers because this of course is going to be the thing on which the entire narrative of the Jewish people turns. It's on this dynamic. Because of this dynamic, we were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. So there's a lot of rabbinic awareness that sibling rivalry, the hatred, the enmity between members of a family results in terrible things. Right? And, um, and for us, it results in 400 years of slavery. Um so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stop soon, but um but but I want to go a little bit further. One time like what, what one time by and his brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at where? At Shechem. Now this is this this is the place where because y'all study Torah, you know a lot more than a lot of folks who are reading this. What just happened at Shechem not so long ago? Dina goes out and is we're not sure what happens she lies with the prince of shechem that that town because she is defiled because she is a unmarried female she 's not. In control of her own sexuality, her sexuality does not belong to her. It belongs to her father. And if she has no father, then to her older brother or her uncle. Her sexuality is not hers to do with what she pleases. It belongs to her family, the men of her family. So it doesn't matter whether she's raped or if she lies with him voluntarily, she has commit, she is now ruined. As a result of that, the brothers, these guys, these guys, say Shechem, the prince, goes to his father and says, I want to marry Dina. This is last week's Parsha, by the way. I I want to marry Dina. I love her. And they say, by the way, there is not one place where they ask Dina, was this consensual? Do you want to marry? Because that's one way to solve it. If she's been ruined one way you solve it is that person is obligated to marry her, right? Then she's saved, if you will. So the prince offers to marry her. The brothers say to them, it's not our way to marry our daughters to people who are uncircumcised. So you must be circumcised in order to marry our our sister. But if you do that, like we'll sw- you know, everybody'll switch like everybody'll marry into everybody else's family. So the entire city is I was going to say sacrificed. The entire city is circumcised and while they are recovering, adult men recovering from circumcision, the brothers attack and murder everyone in the city, including the prince. So as we're reading this that the brothers went to pasture the flocks at Shechem, we cannot read right over that. What we have to realize is it wasn't so long ago. It was the end of last Parsha, right? So these guys are going to Shechem? Probably not a super smart move. And if they are in Shechem and Yosef hears they're in Shechem or Yaakov knows they're going to Shechem, right there's a lot of tension around that so there's tension in the family there's all this strife in the family there's going to be violence in the family there's already been violence done to the family and their vengeance was magnificent in terms of you know relationship to what's done That is a very long way in the ancient world to travel. That is a very far trip for Yosef to make by himself. So all of these small things that we just kind of see as, you know, text, are. this is actually a very intense story already. Before anything else happens, he's going to go by himself from Haran, to follow where the brothers have gone, to Shechem and then to Dotan. Okay? So when Jacob says, go find your brothers, that is not go to, you know, Pico and Lincoln, please. I know it's a far Walgreens, but please go there. That's where my meds are. This is go to San Francisco and get your brothers. So setting up all of this, and they're in Shechem, right? A very dangerous place for this family to go, and it's not like they're not going to be noticed, right? So the, the brothers have gone to pasture the flocks at Shechem. Yisrael el Yosef. Yisrael says to Yosef, "Your brothers are pasturing at Shechem. Come." I will send you to them. And what does he answer? What does Yosef answer? The right answer always when you are summoned? Hineni. Here I am. I am ready. And he said to him, go and see how your brothers are and how the flocks are faring and bring me back word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron when he reached Shechem. So go to Shechem. Find out what's happening with everybody and come back to me and tell me. That is a very long trip to just kind of see how everybody is. And then he has to go back. It's not like he's going to come back with his brothers. So he's got to make this trip alone. And then his dad wants him to travel back alone. Very good. That becomes one of our questions is why would you, does Jacob not know? that he's setting his son out to go see the the brothers that hate him, a very long way away by the town where they just murdered a bunch of people. Like, what is he thinking? So um, when he gets to Shechem, so he's traveled from Hebron all the way to Shechem, and Ish finds him wandering in the fields. The Ish says to him, Mativakesh, what are you a hunting? What are you looking for? So how does the Ish know that Yosef's looking for something? So somehow Yosef is communicating, he's telegraphing that he is out of place. What happens when folks are out of place? Lots of different kinds of things. Dina went out. She went out of her place. A young woman's place is not to go out. It is to stay home. So she's out of place. Her place is in the family tent where she can be watched and guarded. She goes out, so she's out of place. Do you remember someone else, another female who's out of place and something kind of intense happens? Hagar, Hagar, very good, Jodi. Hagar leaves because Sarah is abusing her. She runs away. She's a fugitive, pregnant slave who is out of place. Her place is in the tent with her mistress, telling her what to do, right, From where have you come and where are you going, says to her whom? Who says this to her? Where have you come? Close. Where have you come from and where are you going? It is a malach. It is an angel. But the last time we saw an ish get involved with one of our characters out of nowhere, it turns out it's not exactly just a guy. Right? He wrestles with this Ish, and then says, I, "I've seen God face to face." So when we get Ish, when Ish finds him there, he's how do we know? How does he know he's looking for something? Because he looks out of place. This is when big stuff happens. Yes. Can I just ask? I mean, our entire story is about people who are out of place. It starts with Abraham being out of place. I mean, and it goes. Egypt, we're out of place to leave. I mean, so how does this, this, I mean, that's a good thing we say. Jews are out of place in the world. So how does, how has this become a bad? I'm not sure that I would use the terms good or bad. When we are out of place, different stuff happens than when we're where we belong. That's kind of the nature of life. When we're out of place, Different things can happen. If I'm just at home making toast and a cup of coffee, nothing's gonna, the stories we tell say, nothing's gonna happen. But if I decide, you know what, today, I want a Bialy and I'm gonna go to Brentwood, I mean, like, then something might happen. So I think it's, it's not so much good or bad, it's that for for our narratives i just want to lift up that it's when we when somebody's out of place the opportunity for things to go like a whole different direction happen and a good beautiful point that god says to abraham Lech lecha, take yourself out of place because as long as leave everything your house your father, your ancestors house your country everything because if you don't do that you can't start something new you have to be out of place and it 's no different now if you think about uh, gang members when they see somebody who is wearing the red and then somebody in the blue comes up. What are you doing here? What are you doing? Something bad 's going to happen to you. Stay in your place well we we human beings i mean it 's terrestrial human culture. we human beings evolved to be suspicious of the folks coming over the hill we're because they used to carry different viruses and different germs and different things then right so we we are designed to be suspicious of strangers of people who are not like us so that that's on the one hand we're just kind of hardwired that way i think i think there's a way in which the story can't get interesting unless and until the character leaves what's familiar, leaves all the protections that come with that, particularly in the ancient world, and is now open for an adventure. We had a black Methodist minister here for a while who left because of the torture of his family. He was out of place. All right. So, um, all right. Was there something else over here? Okay. Anybody at home? Anything you want to say at home? I, was I did see somebody. That, okay. It, oh. Yeah, Betsy. Um, it, it sort of explains why the ultra-religious community stays together. You know? You'd better so believe it. You'd better believe it. That's why exactly place, why place. very traditional communities, it is dangerous. It's considered dangerous yeah. to leave. Yes, because what could happen? An adventure could happen, God forbid. Chas right. <laughs> v'shalom. Your world, something might happen yeah. that right, that is out of the ordinary, chas v'shalom, like, so, exactly, exactly. If you want people to be safe, and you want direct continuity, you keep them cut off from possibilities of that not being so. Very good. Okay, uh, so so we got an ish here. We have an ish who finds Yosef and asks Yosef, What are you looking for? Vayomer. And he says, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they're pasturing? Who the heck are his brothers? (laughs) Who is this guy supposed to know? What, you know, oh, you're looking for the Goldberg boys. (laughs) Sure. Um, right. Like, so already something's a little, right? A little, okay. I'm looking for my brothers. That man answers. They left. I heard them say, let us go to Dotan. M- must be there wasn't good pasturing at Shechem, or maybe we shouldn't be hanging out in the neighborhoods of Shechem, right? Let's go to Dotan. So they go to, he knows, because he heard them say, let's go to Dotan. So Joseph followed his brothers and found them at Dotan. Okay, so our Ish knows exactly who he's talking about. Okay, how, whatever, we're not told, right? Robin is accepting this, just that's how it is, Rabbi, that, that's just how it is. Um, and... Uh, well, but but obviously, if you're com- if you're 12 brothers with all these flocks, it is obvious that people moved around to move their flocks, right? That's not going to be as unusual as Yosef in his you know feather boa, you know like wandering by himself. But the Ish knows exactly who Yosef is talking about, and just happened to hear that very group of young men. Have a conversation about where they're going, right? Peter Pitzala in his book, Our Father's Wells, spends a lot of time on this ish. Because he says, what if the ish had not been there? What if the ish saw Yosef walking around and went, not my problem, and didn't say anything? What if the ish had not overheard the brothers? What if the Ish had not decided to share that with Yosef? If that Ish had not been there, had this scene not happened, we would not have been slaves in Egypt. Because what happened? Yosef caught up to his brothers. And what happened when he caught up to them? They caught up with him. That's where they decide to get rid of him. And that's where he is sold into slavery. To Egypt. And remember, Shechem becomes the... The capital of the northern kingdom of Israel, the rival to Jerusalem. So that's another layer that the people sharing and hearing this story know that it's the northern holy place versus the southern holy place of Jerusalem. Right. Yes.
0: Isha and the questions you've asked, you know, where's God in this story?
1: Who's asking that? I am. Okay. And he's ish. Because God's not here. Yes, he is. Okay. Mark's he, saying God, this is God. It's, I don't think this ish just randomly pops up in the middle of a story.
0: So to have the knowledge you just described, we're beyond. The-
1: okay. Mark is understanding this ish as not something normal, that this is outside the ordinary. Okay. Whether it is or is not. The fact that the ish is there, the fact that the ish heard the brothers and knew where they were and told Yosef changes the destiny of an entire people. And so what Peter Pitsula points out is all of us have had an ish. Every one of us had a conversation with an ish that changed the trajectory of our lives that this is not unusual in the sense, I mean, unless you're reading it Mark's way, and maybe Mark would read every encounter with an ish this way, but it is. this is what it means to have one's destiny unfold. There is an ish, and that each of us, if we take time, can think about probably several occasions, but at least one, right? Rabbi Sharon Kleinbaum saying, Bobola, you need to stay after services. I need to talk to you. You're going to be the Chazanit for Yom Kippur. That was a complete change in my destiny. Right? Here I sit. So this ish is really a very powerful acknowledgement that it takes one conversation and therefore let us be very careful right, about what we say. To others, I think particularly to young people, because it's one sentence that can impact the future of of a whole life. And the converse is we should listen very carefully to what people say to us, because that might be the person who's suggesting an alternate path. Mm -hmm. So are we open to the to the message of the East? Who says, what are you looking for? And then what do we answer, right? What are we looking for? Okay. All right, so let's go to this very fun commentary. Yaakov Be'eretz Megure Aviv Be'eretz Kanaan. The very loaded sentence. Jacob settled in a land where his father had sojourned in the land of Kanaan. I just, I'm showing you this set of commentaries because I just think it's so great, our tradition and what the heck we do. All right, Breshit Rabbah. So this is a commentary, a rabbinic commentary on the book of Genesis. Okay? In that commentary, Rav Acha says, when the righteous sit in tranquility and desire to sit in tranquility in this world, when the righteous sit Bishalvah. In peace and in tranquility in this world, what happens? Satan comes and accuses the righteous. In the world, is, is that which is set for the righteous in the world to come not enough? That they seek serenity in this world? Know that this is certainly the case. Our forefather Yaakov sought to dwell in serenity in this world. And Satan The Satan, the difficulty, the impediment, the challenge of Yosef clung itself to Yaakov. And Yaakov dwelt is actually connected to a verse from Job. Because remember, in Torah, you can pull one verse from anywhere and relate it to a verse from somewhere else. It is completely associative. And because it is all the word of God, they must have something to do with each other. So it doesn't matter that it's in the book of Job. If there's the word sitting, peace, something like that, must have something to say to our verse. So what's the verse in Job? I had, I had no repose, no quiet, no shalva, says Job. Well, that has to apply to Yaakov, because we just heard about sitting and being in tranquility. So this must be something similar. I had no tranquility. Why not? I had no repose from Esav, no quiet due to Lavan right tricking him, no rest, meaning Dina and all that business, and then lastly, the trouble of Yosef, right he loses his son. this incident that we just saw finding his brothers, Yaakov doesn't see Yosef again until his old age, so I think it just me. Means- and by Yacov, and he was hanging out in Kna- No. He sought to settle down and to live a nice, happy life. Satan is going to come, and whenever you try to sit down and just have a happy life, Satan is going to come and say, it's not enough for you that if you're righteous, you'll have peace and tranquility in the world to come. You want to have it in this world too? Well, Mm -mm. All right, so Rashi, our most famous commentator, picks up on this exact uh, Midrash and says, Yaakov sought to settle in peace. There leapt upon him, like clung to him that we just read in the Midrash, the agitation of Yosef, right? The, The horror of what happens with Yosef because he was seeking to sit in peace. The righteous seek to settle in peace. Now look what Rashi does. God says, is it not enough for the righteous, what is prepared for them in the world to come, that they seek to settle in peace in this world? So look what Rashi does. Rashi moves it. That's not what Rav Acha said in Breshit Rabbah, is it? Satan says that in Bereshit Rabbah. Rashi has God say it. What does that do? What does that move do? Bert? seems to
0: me this is all part of the question of why do righteous people suffer in this world. Interesting. This is a way of getting to that question that is without answer, why some of the evil people seem to prosper and the righteous suffer.
1: Okay, so what's the answer then? How is this addressing that? What's the answer?
0: Well, God is saying, you know, for the righteous... You're going to be okay later. Isn't that enough for you that you need to be okay now? So it then becomes kind of part of the divine plan and not so terrible because you're going to be okay later.
1: But we were okay later before the terrible stuff happened. So why does the terrible stuff have to happen?
0: That's why it says in the Talmud we can't explain this. But I, I see. But okay. I, I think, I think this, is, this is nevertheless kind of an effort. To look at that issue. What, why right, why do
1: righteous people suffer? It, well, it's certainly playing with with that. Because Satan essentially says, because you sought to sit bishalva, I'm going to mess it up for you. But here, Rashi puts it in the mouth of God. It's also one of the few times where we hear mm-hmm. reference to another world, an afterlife. And it's very important. Not for the rabbis. In the Talmud and in the Midrash, they are obsessed sometimes with the world to come. Oh, But it's it's very important in the Christian world when people go through suffering and they count on having contentment in the afterlife. Right. And whenever things get bad for the Jews, we see a lot about Olam Haba. We are not immune in any sense from that. All right. Aviva Zornberg now is commenting on Rashi. Right? Look what we do. Look what we do people. It's so gorgeous. All right. So we have the the verse from Torah. Then we have a discussion in Midrash Rabbah. Then we have Rashi reworking Midrash Rabbah. Now we have Aviva Zornberg, one of the most brilliant minds of our time, um talking about Rashi. All right. Jacob's attempt to resolve to read the text of God's covenant in the light of his own life seems impeccable. And yeah, And yet, as we have seen, God does not merely override Jacob's reading as in the above midrash, but much more radically. He mocks such an attempt, wherever it occurs, as a vulgar misreading, a lack of ascetic tact. The opening verse seems to contrast Jacob's desire to settle, to interpret his life and God's word with the sojournings of his father Isaac. So he wants to be like Isaac, who just settles down Hazanah's life, the provisional God-directed quality of his father's life has been replaced by a new enterprise in Jacob's life, the enterprise that the Kabbalists called emet, Truth. Jacob wants to read the family texts strongly to synthesize the contrasting elements of his father's and his grandfather's worlds. In a word, Jacob wants to compose a whole world of his own, he sought to settle in peace, indicates a cognitive and ascetic ambition to see history resolved, sojournings over in this world, meaning the wanderings of Avraham and the dislocation, right, to have it all resolve in his uh, generation. What leaps upon him is the wild animal that tears Yosef apart, Tarof Taroth to Yosef. Yosef was surely turn, torn apart. That's what he's going to get. The opposite. Like It says what clings to him is the trouble of Yosef. What Zornberg is saying is that thing that clings to him is the animal that he believes tore his son to pieces. So not only did he not get any peace. But what that language of the Midrash and Rashi that something, this trouble of Yosef jumped on him and clung to him is the wild animal tearing, like getting Yosef's coat. And think about your dog when it's playing with a toy. Right. That kind of right. And just shredding his son incredibly vivid, right? Instead of yeshuv fada'at kind of the the rest and tranquility of mind, clarity, composure, coherence, there is ti There is a tearing of the mind, confusion, bewilderment, loss of consciousness. And when you want to say somebody is crazy in Hebrew, you say they are meturaf. They are torn. It means their mind. You say you know this word. Something is kosher or it's, traif is taraf, torn. You have to shecht an animal to eat it. You can't eat something that's been torn by another animal or run over by a car. You can't eat that. It has to be shechted. So that's why it's traif, taruf. It is torn. So, so for Zornberg, It's not only that he doesn't get what he wants, it's that in seeking to make sense, to have resolution of all that's happened in their family, that's what Yaakov really is trying to make happen. And it's not only that that doesn't happen, the exact opposite happens. What happens is a tearing of his reality when he sees the coat shredded and bloodied. They dip it in blood, people. They dip that cutonet in blood and show it to their father, and he makes an assumption based on that. The same way he served up Asab's clothing to his blind father, who made an assumption about who he was, but but it wasn't true. In both cases, the clothing. Leads to assumptions that are not true, but are devastating to the security and the shalva, the peace of the family. David,
0: sorry, um, but don't you think that Joseph, uh, um, that um, that Joseph's father is yes, he wants tranquility, but by sending Joseph out on that mission, he's doing the exact opposite. I mean, Joseph's a homebody, basically, like he was. And is protected, you know stays home, and it seems that sending him out, and also um joseph 's response heini like i 'm ready for this adventure i mean i'm now i 'm just making stuff but but the <laughs> fact that he says Hineni, you know means that you know that he 's sort of um, you know sort of moving the ball forward, uh you know creating destiny even this even though what he wants more than anything else is a peaceful life he 's basically. Ruining that peaceful life by by, um, by 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 creating this this journey that that can't end well. He's going up to Shechem. He's going to his brothers, who probably when they're home they they don't beat him up, but you can be sure that in the back of the schoolyard he's going to get beaten up. So it seems to me like he's he's sort of prompting it at the same time.
1: So I would say gum the gum, like it. That's how life happens. Right, but he, I don't think he sets out to send Yosef out into danger. No, I don't think so. I think think in our lives we do things and don't always think it through, and don't always think about the consequences. Yaakov doesn't think about the consequences of that move. Now that's already a choice, I guess, whether or not you think something through. But why not? I mean, because that's life. Okay. And and I think this is a tragedy. I think the story of Yaakov is a tragedy, and I think the fact that he doesn't think this through is part of the tragedy of his story that he, he still can't get, you don't show favoritism. You who your father favored your brother, you don't do that. Like, but he never got it. Like Yaakov just doesn't get it. And here also doesn't, doesn't get that you send Yosef out there where you can't protect him. Really? Really? And to Shechem? You're sending your boys to Shechem? Like, Yaakov, the tragedy of Yaakov is he just doesn't learn. And because of that, loses his son, lost his wife, lost his son, you know, loses he loses the stuff most important. He loses Rachel in childbirth and loses Yosef for most of his life.
0: I'm wondering whether that's also why the, between this is a Jacob to be an Israel. The H is
1: here. Yeah, like what he took from that wrestling, he isn't called Yisrael the rest of the time, right? It's back and forth between Yaakov and Yisrael because he kind of gets it and then does something stupid, right? The old Yaakov is still there because the, the Ish says your name will no longer be Yaakov, but uh, that's not exactly what happens. He is called Yaakov and Yisrael. Because it seems he's back and forth between being able to live into this new, you know, understanding and then not. All right. So let's look at Rabbi Larry Bach. Rav Acha's Midrash, remember the Midrash, that if you try to sit in peace, Satan's going to come? Reminds us how hard it is to live in tranquility. Shalva is what's the the word used in the Midrash. In our messy worlds, we sit, right, by he sat, he dwelled. We seek out refuge. We retreat. But things happen around us, to us, it often feels, that disturb our settled minds. Rest and quiet are elusive. Trouble all too present. Some are our personal sadnesses and trials. Some belong to the people around us. Still others happen halfway around the world to people we've never met, but nevertheless take up residence in our minds. Is Rav Acha right? Are we destined to live a restless and troubled life? Can our moments of peace on the cushion or the mat be anything more than fleeting? Among my most treasured insights since I began learning with the Institute, this is the Institute for Jewish Spirituality, is the notion that olam haba, the world to come, and olam Haze, this world, are not temporal designations but mind states. Both worlds exist in all moments. The first one presents itself so readily, our everyday experience of this and that, a world of separate things. The other one comes upon us with some effort and some grace. It is boundless, infinite. Living in the one or the other isn't a simple thing. A mere glass half full choice one can make once and for all. But I do believe we can go there again and again. As I sit during the week of Vayeshev, I will look for signs of Yishuv Da'at, like that settled mind in my practice, the clarity and sparkle that come with concentration, the empathy and compassion that accompany me when I rise from the cushion, knowing that moments of Yishuv are fleeting, may I nevertheless live in their lights." A beautiful working with the Midrash, right, that we saw in Breshit Rabbah. Rabbi Yael Shai is also going to talk about this. Vayeshev in Hebrew means settles. Sharing a root with the Hebrew word for sit. In mindfulness, parlance, sitting is another word for meditating. Jacob reminds me of myself and so many other meditators who, when we first start meditating, fall into the trap of wanting to Meditate away our troubles, hoping to escape ourselves and the world through sitting. Best-selling author and psychiatrist Dr. Mark Epstein recounts his early experiences with meditation and excitement about the Buddhist concept of no self. Now she's quoting Epstein. My understanding of no self was limited at this point. I took it to mean that my inner anxiety, myself, was unreal and would drop away once I woke up. It was confusing to find that meditation, rather than dropping me into a void of no self, backed me into myself. While meditation was teaching me to hold myself with a light touch, it was also helping me to emerge through my suffering, not in spite of it. She says now, Rabbi Yael Shai, this has been my experience as well. Each of my attempts to find peace outside of the chaos of my own heart, mind, and life eventually fails. The only way out of suffering is through it. The Buddhists have a phrase for this, no mud, no lotus. Lotus flowers, one of the symbols of enlightenment, only grow in muddy, swampy waters. Working with our pain in this world as opposed to the next world is our best chance of attaining the inner peace that Yaakov might have been seeking. Um, so we don't have time to go to the next set of uh, commentaries, which is really about Yosef um, kind of living from encounter with the divine to encounter with the divine to encounter with the divine, whereas Yaakov like, couldn't do that. That Yosef seems to get it, that it's intermittent and is able to live kind of from one peak to the next peak with these huge troughs, as we know, in between. Um, and that, that is what distinguishes him from his father. Um, is that he gets that, and Yaakov, Yaakov just doesn't. Um, but remembering that Olam Chabad, the world to come, and Olam Hazah that they dwell here together, it's not temporal. Like there's this one, then there's that one. It's that they're always here. Access to that you know, expansive consciousness, that expansive awareness of of other that touches, the infinite that touches our awareness and our lives, uh, versus kind of the, you know, obsessive this and that and world of separateness and things and events and whatever that we usually live in, alam hazad this world. So um, some teachers uh, coming to bear on thousands of years of teaching on one pasuk of Torah, and Yaakov dwelt there in the land of Canaan.